She was as sweet and as soft as the first fall of snow. And it was a lot of fun because Laura was fun. She would skip down. She would almost dance down the street. Hey there, lassie. <laughs> Good to see you. And she'd follow too. We love Laura. It's time for the apple seed, filled with stories for you and your family. All kinds of tales from all kinds of tellers. I'm Sam Payne, your host. What a pleasure it is for me to be with you. It's going to be a great hour today. We're going to start with a question. What do bears, ghosts, and 11-year-olds have in common? Well, if we let you think about it long enough, you'd probably come up with something. And really, all we were thinking of is that we've got stories about all of those things. Bears, ghosts, and 11-year-olds on today's Hour of the Appleseed. That's what they've got in common. We're always looking for great stories to bring to you, and we think good stories help us bond with those we love through the sharing of them and, of course, through the memories that they spark. So we've got stories today from Jay O'Callaghan, from Kate Dudding, from Brian Fox Ellis. He's going to bring us a story called Ghost Dog. And we're going to start with a story from Susan Strauss. Now, she's a storyteller who likes to focus on tales of natural history and animals, and that's evidenced by the title of the collection from which our first story comes. It's called Dreams of Animals, Myths and Personal Stories of Animals. And it's been said of her that no teller embodies the animals with the same fierce aliveness as Susan. So which animal is this story about? Well, it's partly about a bear. It's an unusual bear, though. It's a bear that can talk, a bear that doesn't hibernate. And it's a bear that makes an appearance in the story of Snow White and Rose Red. Now, you know the story of Snow White, perhaps, and maybe you know the story of Snow White and Rose Red. And if you know the story of Snow White and Rose Red, you know that it's not the same as the story of Snow White. In this story, uh, uh, instead of an evil queen and royal heritage, Snow White lives with her sister, Rose Red, and they live in a humble cabin with their mother. To tell you more, here's Susan Strauss with Snow White and Rose Red on the Appleseed. Long ago, in a German forest, there lived an old widow and her two daughters. Now the first daughter, she loved to sit up at night with her mother around the fire and make tea and read poetry. She was as sweet and as soft as the first fall of snow. And so she was called Snow White. But her sister could not stand to stay indoors. Why, winter or summer, she was outside running about. She was so fast, it was said she could even outrun an elk. And after a day of out exploring in the woods, she would come home her cheeks red as roses. And so her mother called her Rose Red. Now the two women lived with their mother in this small cottage. And one winter, they could hear such a howling wind whistling through the trees. The three women gathered inside of their cottage and built up the fire. Soon the howling, whirling wind whisked around their house and down the chimney. The fire fought fiercely against the wind as it howled and whirled down the chimney. And in the midst of this howling, whirling wind, the old widow, she said, Oh, 
it is too cold a night for man or beast. And as she said this, there came a knock, knock at the door. Oh, oh, why, who could be out on a night like this? Rose Red, go and lift up the latch. And Rose Red ran and lifted up the latch, and the door creaked open, and a small slip of snowy wind spilled in upon the floor. A great big bear's paw came round the door, and a great bear's face poked in. Rose Red ran to hide behind her mother, and Snow White behind her, and the bear spoke. said the old widow. It is too cold a night for man or beast. Let the bear come in. And the bungling brute, he wattled his way over toward the fire, his fur coat crusted in snow, and he rolled about from side to side. When Snow White and Rose Red got their brooms and swept and swept the snow off his fur. He rolled about and enjoyed it so much that they took their brooms and tickled him a bit and swatted his rump. And the bear would say, Oh, would you treat your loved one in this way? And when the firelight died down, why the three women climbed up into their loft where they had their deep feather beds, and the bear fell asleep by the fire. Rose Red fell into a dream, and in her dream she dreamt that she married this bear. She had two bear cubs by him, and in the dream she was combing out their fur. In the morning, when they woke up, they let the bear out. And that evening, the bear came back again, and he rolled about on the rug in front of their fire. And the two girls took their brooms and swept the snow off his fur. They tickled him and swatted him in the rump, and always he said, Oh, would you treat your loved one in this way? Now when old woman Winter grew tired of storming on the earth and she gathered up her blankets of snow to keep them for another winter, that day spring came dancing, dancing into the world. And so that morning the bear left 
a little bit of his fur got caught on the latch, and he never came back. The two girls pulled the fur from the latch. It was like spun gold. Now they were sad, hoping the bear would come back. But time passed, and their mother needed them to take a journey into town. They had to go over the mountain pass, and so she packed their bags filled with all the things they would need for the journey. Now the two had not been traveling very far on their journey when they heard the strangest sound. Oh, let me go! Let me go, you stupid tree! They came upon the strangest-looking little man with a long beard. He had been chopping away at a tree, and the tree did not like that, so it called up the wind, and the wind caught his beard just as he was chopping into the tree, and so now he had chopped his own beard into the tree and was stuck. Rose Red opened up her back sack and pulled out her knife. She ran up to the little man and cut his beard freeing him from the tree. Was he grateful? Oh, look at you, you milk-faced maid. Look what you've done to my beard. I suppose you think you should have some reward for this. Huh? And he grabbed a bag full of something heavy and threw it over his shoulder and ran off into the woods. Poor fellow, they said. And the two went on their way. But they hadn't been traveling far before they came over a hill and into another valley, and there they heard the little man's voice again. Let me go! Let me go, you stupid fish! Let me go! And there was a lake, and there was the same little man. He had been fishing a fish, and his beard had gotten tangled up in the fishing line. And as he pulled on the fish, he was being pulled ever closer to the lake. It was the fish who was fishing him instead of him fishing the fish. And to save his life, Rose Red again grabbed her knife and ran up and cut the fishing line. But she cut a bit of his beard, and he was furious. Ha! You, you ugly, ugly milk-faced maids again, come to my rescue! Ha! I suppose you think I should give you a reward for look. What have you done to my beard? And he grabbed his sack of something heavy. Over his shoulder it went, and out into the forest he ran. Oh, dear, poor fellow. Now the sisters, they climbed out of the forest and high up into the mountain pass, when, as they were coming along the narrow of the trail, they heard again. Ah! Let me go! Ah, bird, let me go! Why, 
there a great eagle had flown down and dug its talons into the little man's coat, lifting him up as if he were a bit of food. And the two, seeing this to save his life, they ran up and each grabbed one of his legs and pulled him from the grasp of the eagle. His life was saved, but his coat was torn. Do you think he was grateful? Ah, you! How can I ever be rid of you? You! You ugly, ugly milk-faced maids! I suppose you think you should have some gold or pearls for your service. Ah, stones! That's what I'll throw at you! Stones! And just as he was getting ready to throw stones at them, behind a great boulder they heard, And a great bear came, and with one swat of his great arm, he lay the little man lifeless on the earth. The two of them, looking at the bear, began to step slowly backwards. And they saw that the fur about the bear's face began to fall off. The fur about his body began to drop away. And standing before them was a rather handsome prince. And the prince explained that he had lived under a curse of this little man, and he could not be himself again until he could find that little one and vanquish him. He was so grateful to their kindness to him in the winter, and to their sweetness calling out the voice of this little man, that he took Snow White to be his wife. And it's lucky, because he had a brother who took Rose Red to be his wife. And so it came to pass that Rose Red and Snow White and their mother lived their life in the great castle. And we could say they lived happily ever after. But I know there was a time after that when Rose Red and her husband were traveling through the forest and there was a bear. Her husband pulled up his arrow and fit it to his bow. But Rose Red put her hand on his shoulder and reminded her husband, Your brother was once a bear. And so they let the bear be. And so in this story, the bear lives happily ever after, too. Susan Strauss with Snow White and Rose Red, 
a story about a bear, princes, snow white, rose red, and a curse. Pleasure to begin our hour together with that tale. We're going to take a quick break, but then we'll be back with all kinds of stories. You're going to hear from Brian Fox Ellis with a story called Ghost Dog. And because we always hope that the stories that we bring you on the show spark memories and thoughts for you that you can share with the people that you love, we'll share a memory about fishing. It's right after a break. I'm Sam Payne. You're listening to The Appleseed. We'll be back in a moment. Welcome back to The Appleseed. Here's Sam Payne. It's great to have you back with us on today's episode of The Appleseed. Before the break, you heard Susan Strauss with a version of Snow White and Rose Red, an old tale about a bear and Snow White and Rose Red and princes and a curse and more. And we're going to be back in just a little bit here with a story from Brian Fox Ellis, the Illinois storyteller, with a story called Ghost Dog. But first, because we know that sharing a memory can sometimes be the spark that uh, ignites a memory for you that you might share with the people that you love, here's a memory of mine. It's all about fishing. Happy to share it with you in an entry in the Radio Family Journal, here on the Appleseed. The Radio Family Journal with Sam Payne. A tiny little story for you and your family, right when you need it, on the Appleseed. I've always liked fishing, but the truth is I've never really been very good at it. I had one incredibly successful fishing day when I was in sixth grade. I tagged along with my pal Eric Murdoch and his cousins, and we drove a couple of hours on paved roads, and then for an hour or so on dirt roads, and then hiked a bit until we came to what it wasn't even a lake, really. It was a big mossy pond, and we caught a bunch of fish. I caught a bunch of fish as many as I could legally catch. And I watched Eric's brothers clean the fish, which left me with a, I don't know, horrified new respect for those guys. And then, triumphant, I went home to my folks laden with fish, dinner for the next few nights. It happened once. Most of the other times I've been fishing have run more along the lines of this time I'm going to tell you about now. It's the fishing trip of a complete bonehead, and I almost can't believe I'm telling you about it. My kids and I, as it turns out, went to a local fishing pond, and we caught a bunch of fish. And the kids didn't want to eat them or release them. They wanted to keep them as pets. And we had a little pond at home, so we brought the fish home and released them in the kids' plastic swimming pool while we prepared the pond for habitation by these fish. Anyway, long story short, we decided in the end that those fish were not going to thrive in the pond that we had first thought so perfect for them, which left us thinking that we needed to take them back to the pond where we'd caught them and let them go. They were still very much alive, swimming vigorously, the untrained person might say happily, exuberantly around the plastic swimming pool. And we thought they'd be okay to travel back to their pond of origin and they'd be fine. Now I know more about fish than I did then. I know how naive I was to pursue such a course right from when we caught the fish in the first place. But back then, well, I was naive. And, well, it gets better, or rather worse. In those days, I made a lot of my living playing live music at all kinds of events. I had a band. And that night, the band was playing at a wedding reception, and I thought I'd take the fish back to the pond on the way to the gig. 
and I got ready for the gig, but not before carefully getting the fish into a big bucket full of water. There were six of them, and I carefully loaded the bucket into the cab of the truck full of band gear, and I headed toward the pond. But as I was headed out there, I got a phone call. It was one of my bandmates wondering where I was. The gig, as it turns out, was set to start a half hour before I thought. My mistake. And giving a moment's thought, but not more than a moment's thought, to the fish. I turned the truck around and headed for the gig, sure in my naivete that the fish would be okay for the couple of hours of the wedding reception and that I'd take them to the pond afterward. Well, the wedding reception went great, and I imagined the fish happily swimming in their bucket waiting for me to take them blissfully back to their pond home. And after the gig, in the dark, I loaded the music gear back into the truck and drove to the pond, noticing how quiet the fish had gotten, how still was the water in the bucket. Nighttime. I thought the fish are asleep. That's what they do at nighttime, right? And then I got to the pond and pulled the bucket out of the car and walked to the edge of the pond and gently poured the water out of the bucket into the pond. I did it under a flashlight, and it was under a flashlight that I noticed that no fish came out of that bucket, only water, no fish at all. My brow furrowed, and I went back to the truck, and with flashlight in hand and a sinking heart, I found the couple of fish that were under the passenger seat and the one that was under the driver's seat and the three that were in the back seat, all accounted for, all having leaped from the bucket sometime during the gig, all having met their demise at the hands of my boneheadedness. I felt like the six-year-old kid I met later who told the story of feeling the water in the family aquarium and thinking the fish would be too cold in there, so carefully using the net to catch each one and put it under the covers of his bed to help keep them warm. The difference, of course, was that he was a six-year-old and I was a grown-up person. I think I would not make the same mistake again. But I have no doubt that 20 years from now, I'll be telling a story about something dumb that happened right about now because of something I haven't figured out now, but will have figured out then. It's the way of things, isn't it? I guess the only postscript to this story is that as my penance, maybe, I have a half dozen tiny pet fish in a well-kept aquarium. I've had them for years, and they're still doing fine. Radio Family Journal of Sam Payne. A tiny little story for you and your family. Right when you need it, on the Appleseed. Thanks for joining us for that entry in the Radio Family Journal. Of course, we always hope that the stories that we share on the show spark memories and thoughts for you that you can share with the people that you love. If that happens for you, share them with us at our email address, theappleseed at byu.edu. We love to hear from you. And some of our favorite tales are shared with us. We've got stories from Brian Fox Ellis and from Kate Dudding and even a little story from the great storyteller Jay O'Callaghan coming up in just a little bit. But first, how about a conversation with a friend? Great stories come into our lives in so many ways through the things that we see on screen, the books we read, the great songs that we invite into our lives. Of course, the tales that we tell around the kitchen table or the living room or the campfire. And uh, increasingly, you know, the stuff we hear in radio and podcasts contributes to the story landscape of our lives. It's a pleasure to have in the studio with me Richie Stedman. Richie T., it's great to have you with us on The Appleseed. Thank you so much. Thanks for joining us from the Lisa Show, where you make your home. 
Yeah, right here on BYU Radio, 8 a.m. Eastern, 5 a.m. Pacific. Or you can just Google The Lisa Show Podcast, right? And hear something new just about every day there on The Lisa Show. And you are, uh, dare we say, podcast junkie. Uh, I do love a good podcast. Anything (laughs) I can put in my ears, I will spout and tell people about out of my mouth. And that's what we're going to do here. Uh, You've brought a a favorite one to talk about. Yeah, you know, this... I only have one child, so when people ask me what my favorite child is, that's an easy question. When people <laughs> ask me what my favorite podcast is, much harder. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I'm going to pivot and say not my favorite, but one I enjoy quite a bit <laughs> because I, I think that it, I feel like each of them are my children, that they have feelings, and that one would be betrayed by another. Sure. You, I so you got to be careful what you say within earshot of the other. Yeah. Right? <laughs> uh, the fir- this one that I want to talk about, it's called The Radio Adventures of Dr. Floyd. Oh, yeah. Are you familiar with this? You're, I'm about to be. Okay. So th- this is an adventure. I don't know if you were like me, but you had that father who stories was a huge part of his upbringing. Yeah. And so I remember in his horrible old 1971 Toyota Corolla <laughs> uh, that, you know, we could literally see the freeway through the car, through the like like through the rusted out floor of the car, because we just family of five that couldn't afford, and the the scratchy radio we would listen to yeah. late at night, those old like 1930s 1940s oh, yeah. radio programs. Well, uh, the Radio Adventures of Doctor Floyd is not that, but it is a huge homage to that um, for for kids yeah. that have no experience with that and are able to uh, to get into these stories. Um, that that they wouldn't otherwise hear, right? So Dr. Floyd, he's our good guy. He's got a nemesis, as <laughs> doctors often do, doctors especially often do. in these adventures. C- certainly superhero doctors. Yeah. Certainly radio drama doctors exactly. have nemeses. Right? Uh, it, his name is Dr. Steve. So Dr. Steve <laughs> and Dr. Floyd, ooh, foiled again. Um, they travel through time and space. Um, they go back and uh, they, they'll visit stories that we know and love, uh, whether they be from the stage or, or from huh. the screen, so they'll kind of insert themselves into stories like Annie, get your gun, oh, got it. and uh, and and take us on those adventures. Yeah. But what I really love about it, it is, it is an art. Yeah. Um. This the radio adventures of Doctor Floyd. It is an art as the radio play was once upon a time. Yeah. Yeah. Be- between. Um, the Foley sound, and you can tell listening to it that it is not computer manufactured and inserted. It is fully created for this podcast, for every single episode and adventure that they do. It is fully created, and by Foley, yeah, what sorry, we mean, I didn't. Of course, is uh, these these are these are sound effects created kind of in the studio space. Yeah, right. Like you can hear, you know, when they need to, the fire needs to crackle. <laughs> That's like really, it, they're <laughs> Richie creakling up his script. To yeah. Make, <laughs> Fire sounds. You, you can hear yeah. that, and you can tell that it's created for that. So that's one thing that's awesome. The other thing is, um, so many times when I think of, we think of either family-friendly f- content, which yeah. is what this is, right. or we think about programming for kids. As adults, we kind of go, well, I guess I'll just take the dive and I'll and I'll do this so that it's something that I'll my kids can my enjoy. Child exactly. And enjoy the experience they're having to the degree that I can. Yeah, right? that is not what this is. Yeah. This There is something that is so clever in, in some of the things that they do, plays on words yeah. and... Uh, tributes to things that your kids weren't alive for that as you listen you're like ah oh, 
it the 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 amount of times that I that I'm listening that I go either that was clever or I see what you did there and thank you make makes it an adventure that for me I mean I my my kids 22 yeah. we're not sitting and listening to this together it's something that I grab a hold to and yeah. go all right let's let's see what happens with Dr. Steve this week Dr. <laughs> Floyd these you know Sometimes we we fool ourselves into believing that that these kinds of radio drama experiences are are new in mm. the in 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 our time. You yeah, know? that that they sort of arose from the podcast landscape. You right. Know? But these are really this. It, it's so interesting that this this new uh, technology, this new convention, has given rise to an interest in these uh, in these these audio experiences that have such deep roots. You know, in yeah. years gone by, you, know, yeah. you you talk about listening to this this same sort of material when you were a kid, you know, in the old seventy one Corolla. Yeah, you know, and, and to me, I just love when you have writers like there are the the writers of the Radio Adventures of Doctor Floyd and others. Yeah, who can really use? I mean. It sounds cliche or or trite or whatever, but who can really use words that make me see something yeah. in my head? <laughs> like I I don't know if it's literal, figurative. I don't know the word I want to right. use to describe it. Yeah. But I'm seeing the adventure yeah. and hearing the adventure and and, and what I love, uh, obviously because of that, experiencing the yeah, adventure. Yeah, yeah. And you get to. I mean, you're fed so much information through <laughs> the sound effects and through the dialogue and everything else. And uh, there's still room in an audio experience like that for you to create part of the picture yourself. And yeah. that's that's part of the magic of something like this, right? Yeah, is, for sure. Is it becomes not only it, it becomes a little bit of a collaboration between what they're giving you and what you're creating. You know, yeah. there, there, there's some magical experiences to be had there. Well, the podcast is called The Radio Adventures of Dr. Floyd, and it's got Richie just feeling like he was a kid again. Darn you, Dr. Steve. <laughs> a pleasure to have you on the Appleseed, Richie. Thanks so much for joining us. Great stories come into our lives in so many ways. And it's always a pleasure to chat with Richie. We hope you enjoyed that conversation like we did. Coming up, we've got a story from Brian Fox Ellis, the Illinois storyteller, with a story called Ghost Dog. You won't want to miss it. I'm Sam Payne. You're listening to The Appleseed. We'll be back in a moment. Welcome back to The Appleseed. Here's Sam Payne. It's great to have you back with us on today's episode of The Appleseed. Before the break, you heard a conversation with Richie Stedman. We always love to have a conversation with a friend. After all, stories can come into our lives and our hearts in so many different ways. And of course, you heard an entry in the Radio Family Journal about a bucket of fish, and we started off the hour with uh, a story from uh, Susan Strauss, Snow White, and Rose Red, an oldie but a goodie. And now we've got a story from Brian Fox Ellis. Now, he proclaims that his goal as a storyteller is to awaken a deeper understanding of who they are in those that listen. He wants to evoke the storyteller within everyone. And that's a worthy goal. It's a goal that we share here on the Appleseed. Now, here's a story from Brian Fox Ellis. And to set it up, we got to ask, what's your opinion on ghosts? Are they good, bad, a bit of both? Would it change if the ghost happened to be a dog? The story we have today is about a man who loved dogs, had a few of his own, and all the town's stray dogs liked to keep him company when he was out and about. And one night, a new dog appears and follows him home. Not a normal dog, a ghost dog. Here's Brian Fox Ellis 
with Ghost Dog here on the Appleseed. loved dogs and dogs loved he. You see, Tom was a shepherd who lived just beyond the edge of town. He passed his days tending his flock. But Wednesday night was his favorite night. For every Wednesday he had walked to town. Wednesday night was his pub night. He'd sing songs and tell stories, maybe drink a pint of ale, play a game of darts. But every Wednesday night, when he walked to town, as he came towards the edge of town, all of the hounds of town would come out to greet him. He'd scratch the dog behind the ear and say, Hey there, lad, <laughs> good to see you. And the dog would follow along behind. Hey there, lassie, <laughs> good to see you. And she'd follow too. And soon every dog in the village was walking there behind him. And when Tom came to the pub, he'd turn and talk to the hounds as I'm talking to you now. And they listened as least as well when he would say, All right, be off with you. Everyone knows Tom McDowell loves dogs and dogs love he. If you turn up missing, your master will come looking for me. And as if they understood, the dogs would tuck tail and turn and head home. And Tom would go into the pub. He loved Wednesday nights. He loved singing songs with his friends. He loved the old stories. And he was pretty good at a game of darts. But one thing he did not love, one thing that he loathed, absolutely got under his skin and annoyed him was gossip, rumors. And it seemed that every Wednesday night when he'd go to the pub, the rumors would be flying. Did you hear about so-and-so? And you ever play that game telephone wire where somebody whispers in somebody's ear and then you whisper in somebody else's ear? Does it ever come out the same? That's what rumors are. That's what gossip is. And Tom couldn't stand it, especially when the rumors were about him. Now, one Wednesday night, he had had a really hot night at the dartboard. Three bullseyes in one game. And with every pint of ale he won, every game he won another pint of ale, he stayed later than he'd ever stayed before. They had to chase him out at the end of the night. And as he staggered home, two miles through the heath, through the bog, there was a bit of a fog. But he had made the walk so many times, he could walk it with his eyes closed. He might as well have had his eyes closed. It was so dark. But as he was walking along, such a dark night, the clouds were thick, you couldn't see the moon or stars, but he thought he heard. No, it couldn't be. It sounded like something or someone was following. He'd stop and turn and whatever it was seemed to stop as well. He heard nothing. Maybe it's just his imagination playing tricks on him. He'd start walking again, and yes, he heard footsteps. He'd top and turn, and, and it stopped. He looked, but it was so dark, he couldn't see anything. He'd turn and start walking, and he heard it once more. Footsteps coming up behind him. Just then, the clouds parted, and one thin sliver of moon, one ray of light, struck the ground, and he saw... Not more than 10 meters behind him, a huge black dog, a Labrador retriever, so pitch black that in the darkness it appeared to disappear. 
Hey there, uh, lad. <laughs> How you doing? Said Tom. Come here. <laughs> I'll scratch you behind the ear. But the dog just stood there, staring at him. Well, if you won't come to me, I guess I'll come to you. And he walked over. When he reached down, Arf! the dog nearly took off his hand. All right, I, I guess I won't be petting ya. And he turned and walked home. And just then the clouds came together and the moonlight disappeared and so did the dog. But Tom heard it. He, he knew it was following him. When he arrived at the gate, the small fence that surrounded his cottage, he paused and he turned to the dog. He said, all right, be off with you. You know, if you turn up missing, your master will come looking for me. Everyone knows Tom McDowell loves dogs and dogs love he. But the dog just stood there. I don't have time for this. You got to go. The dog didn't move. Tom opened the gate and the dog ran between his legs in through the gate and up onto his porch and sat down by the front door. I'm not needing another dog. You got to go. I can't keep the gate open. The sheep will get out. Come on, you've got to go. The dog just sat there. It's too late. I ain't got time for this. He closed and latched the gate and he walked up onto the porch. He was standing by his door right next to the dog. He thought about petting it again but remembered what happened and uh, he opened the front door. The dog ran between his legs into his cottage, crossed the room and curled up on the stone hearth by the fireplace. I'm not needing another dog, said Tom. You got to go. But the dog began to snore. <laughs> Tom closed the door. He took off his boots as he did every night when he came in. And he went over and stirred the coals and got the fire going, put some more peat on the fire. The dog was snoring. He was asleep. Such a fine-looking black Labrador. He reached over to pet the dog. But this time, his hand went through the dog. Ah! I, I can't be staying in no house with no ghost dog. You got to go. The dog continued to sleep. Tom didn't know what to do, but it was late and he was tired and maybe he just had too much. He climbed the ladder to the loft. His bed was like a shelf, uh, a good place to stay warm on a cold winter's night. He went to sleep. In the morning when he woke up, the dog was still there. He stirred up the coals and made a pot of tea, fixed himself some oats for breakfast and a small lunch, and headed out to take care of the sheep. When he came back in the evening, the dog was still there. It never moved. For days, for weeks, it never moved. Tom kind of got used to it and didn't think much about it until one day one of his friends came over. And his friend said, hey, Tom, I didn't know you had a new dog. And Tom said, I wouldn't be petting that dog if I were you. He says, come on, it's a black Labrador. Everybody knows you love dogs and you wouldn't have a mean one. I'm warning you, said Tom. I would not pet that dog. <laughs> the friend kind of brushed him out of the way and went and sat on the stone hearth by the fireplace. The friend reached over to pet the dog and his hand went through the dog, ah, I can't be staying in no house with no ghost dog. And he ran out and he told his wife and the wife told the sister and the sister told the dead dog's uncle's goldfish. And by the end of the week, the whole town knew and the rumors, the gossip, everybody was talking about it. Come Wednesday night, as Tom walked into the pub, he came to the edge of town and of course the hounds came out to greet him. 
Hey there, lassie. <laughs> Good to see you. And she followed along behind. Hey there, lad. <laughs> Good to have you. And soon all the hounds of the village were following him. When he got to the pub, he turned and said, All right, be off with you. And they tucked tail and ran. Tom went into the pub. And almost instantly, he could hear the whispers. Did you hear about Tom? He's got a ghost dog. I understand it's eaten some of the children in the village. It's, it's a wicked witch's dog, and the witch lives in the heath. And the rumors back and forth, they even grew more bold. Some of them even came up to Tom and said, Tom, I hear you got a ghost dog. The thing you need to do is talk to the village priest. He'll give you some holy water. You bless the dog, and if it's evil, it'll disappear. I don't need your advice. And an old woman came up and said, Tom, <laughs> everyone knows about the witch who lives in the heath. If you talk to her, she'll give you an herb. It's called whorehound. It's kind of like a mint. You put it in the dog's food, and when he eats it, if he's a good dog, he'll become real, and if he's evil, he'll disappear. I don't need your advice, and besides, the dog doesn't eat anything. Tom was so mad, he just stormed out of the pub. And as he was walking home, as he was marching home, that anger began to bubble and boil inside of him. And then he stopped and thought, he really wasn't mad at his friends. They were just trying to help. He was mad at that dog. Ever since that dog had come into his life, and the anger continued to bubble and boil. The anger began to grow. By the time he got home, he couldn't contain himself. He opened the front door. He took off his boots as he always did. But this time, he did something he had never done before. As he took off the boot, he let it sail. He hurled it at the dog. No sooner had the boot left his hand than he wished he could pull it back. He had never harmed a beast, especially a dog. But it was too late. The boot sailed straight towards his head. At the last possible second, the dog sat up and the boot hit the stone hearth. Tom was relieved. But then the dog did a strange thing. It climbed the ladder to the loft, to Tom's shelf where he slept. Tom crossed the room with one boot on and he hobbled up the ladder. And no sooner had his head cleared the top than he saw the dog go through the wall of the cabin and disappear. And where the dog went through the wall, there seemed to be some little doorway. Tom crawled across his mattress. He had lived in this house his whole life. His father, his grandfather had built it, and he had never seen this little doorway. He put his hand inside, and there was dust and cobwebs and dirt and, and a leather satchel. Not one, two, three leather sacks. He pulled out a penknife and he cut the leather string that tied them in Spanish doubloons, gold coins. Between the three bags, more gold than Tom had seen in several lifetimes. It'd been hidden there. For how long, he didn't know. But Tom began asking around. Soon he interviewed his oldest great-aunt. She had known Tom's great-grandfather, who had built the cottage. And she said that just as the English had invaded Ireland, earlier still they invaded Scotland and claimed it for their own. Tom's grandfather, he had owned many head of cattle. 
And rather than see the soldiers, the enemy, slaughter his cattle to feed the enemy, he slaughtered the cattle himself and sold it, hid the gold, enlisted, and died in the war. He took the secret with him to the grave. Everyone had always wondered. And yes, Tom's aunt said he had a big black dog, a black Labrador, well, the first thing that Tom did with his gold, searched high and low until he found a little black puppy that looked much like that ghost dog. He bought more land. He bought more sheep. He donated money to the church to build new stained glass windows. He actually set aside an endowment. And still to this day, if you grow up in that county in northern Scotland, there's money in the bank that'll pay for your college tuition if you study to be a veterinary. Tom gave money to the poor, clothes for the homeless, food for the hungry. But I know this story is true. For one time, I was wandering in the Scottish Highlands, and I found uh, in the middle of nowhere this beautiful little cathedral. In the back, there was a stained glass window, and cut into the glass was the image of a man and his dog, Tom McDowell. Brian Fox Ellis with Ghost Dog, a story about good fortune brought by a ghostly pup. And up next, we've got a story from Kate Dudding. Now, she tells stories about people who make a difference in the world. And this story is about a young girl who saw an opportunity to make a difference and took it. After an oil spill destroyed the habitat of many birds, she decided she wanted to help. And she didn't have much money, so she decided to draw some pictures. And she'd auction them off and use that money to help the birds. Here's Kate Dudding with the story. 11 years old and willing to help here on The Appleseed. Olivia Bowler, 11 years old and willing to help. That's how Olivia signed the letter she wrote in April 2010, a letter prompted by the oil spill in the Gulf of Mexico. While Olivia lives in Islip, Long Island, she spends most vacations visiting her cousins and grandparents near the Gulf of Mexico. Olivia later said, When I heard of the oil spill, I got really upset. My first memory of birds is of the brown pelicans and the great blue herons that live in Alabama. My granny and granddad would take me fishing and show me these beautiful birds. Who was going to save them? She thought about it and talked to her parents. Then she wrote the letter. Dear Audubon Society, as you are all aware of, the oil spill in the Gulf is devastating. My mom has already donated a lot of money to help, but I have an idea that may also help. I am a decent drawer, and I was wondering if I could sell some bird paintings and give the profits to your organization. My mom is in touch with an art gallery near where we live. She is going to sell them there. I am also hoping to go to Cornell in the future. I want to be an ornithologist. I know a few species of birds. 
I also acknowledge that this is breeding time for plovers, terns, etc. I will do all in my strength to earn money. All I need is your okay. Here is a picture of a northern cardinal as a sample. Thank you for your time. Olivia Bowler, 11 years old and willing to help. Audubon wrote back saying they'd be happy to accept Olivia's help. Olivia later said, I decided I would donate bird paintings to people who contributed money to Audubon's golf cleanup campaign. I committed to doing 500 drawings, but I never thought that many people would want one. Olivia and her family spread the word via the art gallery and the internet. Many, many people responded. Olivia drew over 120 different species of birds and created those 500 paintings. She wrote a book in 2011, Olivia's Birds, and created products like postcards and note cards that you can get on the internet. To date, Olivia has raised more than $200,000 for the Save the Gulf campaign. Naturally, Olivia has received many awards for her work. For example, she was invited to the White House in December 2011 for a reception for service innovators. She was the only child in the group of 14 honored. I think the one closest to her age was about 35. She spoke with President and Mrs. Obama and hugged them both. Later, Olivia said, It's pretty fantastic hugging the President of the United States. Back home, I hug people all the time, and they think I'm the weirdest person on earth. The President hugged me, and I say to them, See, somebody in Washington, D.C. likes my hugs. In the introduction to her book, an ornithologist wrote, Olivia's message is that action in the face of huge obstacles is the only way to make a real contribution. People of any age can make a difference. They just need a good idea and the persistence to see it through. At the end of her book, Olivia wrote, We are the future generation. One person can make a difference. Together, we can change our planet. Thank you to everyone who is working to help our environment. Olivia Bowler, now 13 years old, and still willing to help. Kate Dudding with a true story of an 11-year-old willing to help regardless of her age. We could all make a difference if we're willing to put forth a little effort. Now, coming up, we've got a story from Jay O'Callaghan. Grew up in Massachusetts, started telling stories at 14 years of age. And this story is about his daughter, a bright and cheerful little girl who suddenly couldn't bring herself to go to school. Now, we all know that school can be kind of scary or hard sometimes, but Laura liked school and no one could figure out why she wouldn't go because Laura wouldn't say what she was feeling. Well, eventually the answer came. Here's Jay O'Callaghan with Laura's story. It's called What Laura Couldn't Say. Happy to bring it to you here on The Appleseed. When my daughter Laura was in the first grade, my wife and I would walk Laura down our curving old road down to the corner and wait for the school bus. 
And it was a lot of fun because Laura was fun. She would skip down and she would almost dance down the street and then she'd hop on the school bus and she'd always be chattering away. One June day, we walked down and the bus came and Laura, she stood still. She froze. I can't go to school. She was crying. Linda knelt down and hugged her. It's all right, Laura. It's all right. You don't have to go. We started to walk back, holding Laura's hands. Laura, did something happen at school? She shook her head, no. And Linda said, is there something wrong with the teacher? And Laura shook her head, no. And Linda said, well, can you tell us what's wrong? Laura shook her head, no. That was unlike Laura. She talked all the time about everything. Next day, the same thing happened. I can't go to school. She started to cry, and the school bus went on then, so Linda drove Laura to school. But it wasn't easy because she had to hold Laura's hand, and Laura would be crying going into the classroom day after day. We talked to the principal and the teacher. They didn't know it was wrong, and Laura couldn't tell us it was wrong. Well, it was the end of the school year, and we were so glad. Summer vacation, and we thought maybe everything will be fine. Well, the fall came, the first day of school. We were excited. Second grade, and Laura knew who the teacher was, and she was excited about that teacher. So Laura skipped down. We got to the corner, and the bus came. I'm not getting on. Her body was so stiff. Well, it began again, and now Linda was taking Laura to school every day and almost pulling her into the classroom. The teacher didn't know what to do. Neither did the principal. We didn't know what to do. So I said, Linda... Why don't I walk Laura down, and maybe she just wants to be lifted on the school bus, given a little help. So I walked Laura down to the school bus. When it came, I lifted her up. I told her I was going to do it, and I put her on the second stair, and she was fine, and suddenly she turned. No, I can't do it. I didn't know what to do, and I gave her just a little push, and I jumped back, and the doors closed, and I felt awful. I felt I had betrayed her. I'm never going to do that again. The next day, Linda and Laura and I all walked down. The school bus came. I'm not getting on. Once again, we turned and headed home. And Linda said, Laura, if you can't tell us what's wrong, could you use Daddy's typewriter? Could you type what's wrong? And Laura shook her head, yes. And I ran ahead of them. I turned on my electric typewriter, put the paper in, and Laura and Linda came in. And Laura, she looked down at the typewriter, and then she touched the letter I. Then the space bar. And then she typed the letters M-I-S-S, space Y-O-U. Linda started to cry, and Linda was on her knees holding Laura. Is that it, Laura? You miss us? Is that it, Laura? Laura was crying. I was crying. Laura, it's wonderful you told us. We miss you, too. Well, it wasn't over. Not right away. But within a month, Laura was skipping down, almost dancing down the road and hopping on the school bus.
What Laura Couldn't Say, a story told for you by Jay O'Callaghan here on The Appleseed. What a pleasure to bring you that story, sure to spark a memory of a fear that you might have kept hidden from other people before you finally talked about it and found that you could face it. Pleasure to bring also to you that story from Kate Dudding about a girl 11 years old and willing to help, a true story to teach us that we can all make a difference no matter who we are. A story about a ghost dog from Brian Fox Ellis and Snow White and Rose Red from Susan Strauss. It's been such a pleasure for me to be with you. Our audio engineer is Carly Robison. This hour was written by Trent Horton. Our producer is Jeff Simpson. And, of course, you can find us online at byuradio.org slash Appleseed. Not only hour-long episodes waiting for you there, but also mini-episodes. We call them Appleseed Extras. And usually they have something to do with the hour-long episode that we brought you, like today's Appleseed Extra. Visit us at the website to hear Rabbit and Turtle Have a Race by Joseph Stands with Many. You won't want to miss that. And, of course, you can subscribe to the podcast for something new just about every day on the Appleseed. I'm Sam Payne. We'll see you next time. Thanks for joining us for an hour of stories, music, and conversation made for you and your family and brought to you by The Appleseed. The show is a production of BYU Radio. We'll see you next time.